Koinonia Christian Fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. This is Koinonia. This is Community. I am Tom Brown, and your host today, Vocab Malone. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Koinonia Radio. How y'all doing on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon? Two o'clock still afternoon, isn't it? I think it's, I mean, there's people that even eat lunch at two o'clock from what I've heard. What else do people do at two o'clock? Take their naps, I think, maybe. Yeah, yeah. A couple people get off work. Some people go into work. Everybody's doing something. If you're in your car, you're listening to 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk. Did you know you can also grab us live streaming through Faith Talk 1360.com. My name is Vocab Malone. I host sometimes Quinnia Radio every Tuesday to be specific. Tom Brown lets me come in and wreck shop, cause a ruckus, create some problems for him, and then you don't see me again for another seven days. But I always like to bring in beautiful guests. Sometimes i got to call them on the phone, and Bill does that work, but sometimes I get them in the flesh. Today's guest on Koinonia Radio is Jeff Cran from Chosen People Ministries, also a D-man at Talbot School of Theology. Welcome to Koinonia Radio, Jeff Cran. Be here, vocab. Good to see you, man. So... What's Chosen People Ministries, and what's your role in it? Uh, I am a field missionary. Uh, My basic role, uh, Chosen People has two basic mission emphasis. One is to witness and disciple Jewish people, and the other is to teach others to do likewise. All right. So do you do both all the time? Do you Uh, specialize more in one? I tend to uh, love the discipleship teaching side a little bit more. Okay. So practically, what does that look like for you in a given month? What you've been doing, you know, in a given year even? Well, it changes a lot. Um, Part of that is having Bible studies. Um, Part of that might be doing some speaking gigs. Um, Part of that might be having a literature table on First Fridays. An Isaiah 53 table? Just so. Tell me about the Isaiah 53 table on First Fridays, downtown Phoenix, during the Art Walk. Tell me about that, Jeff Cran. Well, we've been doing that. uh, We've been off a little bit for the summer because being from New England, I kind of melt at about 100 degrees. Okay. Uh, But when we have that going, we're down on the street with uh, some literature related to Isaiah 53. In the Mm -hmm. past, we've had a whiteboard with a question, maybe like such as, what is peace? And uh, we'll often have an English text and a Hebrew text in case there's somebody there. And we say, well, you know, can you read one of these? And I love to get people reading it and then say, well, who do you think it's talking about? Right. And then see what they come up with. So you turn in Isaiah 53 and you have people offer theories as to who it's speaking of there. Why is that significant? Why set up a table dedicated to that idea as part of Chosen People Ministries? Well, that's been a push that uh, Chosen People's had because Isaiah 53 is not publicly read in the synagogues. So Why not? It uh, has to do with the reading cycle in the synagogues. They're trying to rush through the five books, and they hang some of the sections of the prophets on the five books. And uh, Isaiah 53 drew the short straw. Mm-hmm. Um, Has it always drawn the short straw in the synagogue, or is this something newer? Well, um, they used to have like a three-year reading cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, although I can't prove it, there are probably some very good reasons why Isaiah 53 was not popular to be read in the synagogues. Implication being 
because Isaiah 53 is such a clear attestation to the messianic status of Christ and takes a lot of explaining away if you're not going to believe in it, just leave it out for now. Something like that. Something like that. I said it. You didn't. Don't worry. <laughs> but I'm talking to Jeff Cran today from Chosen People Ministries, and I think you can tell already we're going to have an interesting, interesting show. You should care about missions to all people. You should care about evangelism, Christians. You should especially care about reaching out with the gospel of the Messiah of Israel to ethnic Jews. Jeff Crown does such a thing. But along his travels, he's discovered something called the Hebrew Roots teaching. And it's not just the Jewish thing. A lot of Gentiles, non-ethnic Jewish folks are getting into this. We're going to talk about what is this Hebrew Roots? What does Jeff Crown know about it? And is it a problem? You don't want to miss this episode of Koinonia. Encounter Phoenix is a worship conference that has a heart to inspire and affirm worship teams here in the Phoenix Valley. As worship leaders, your job is not simply musical in nature. It's to provide an atmosphere where people encounter the presence and power of God. If you love worship, whether as a leader or participant, Go online to EncounterPHX.org for more information and registration. That's EncounterPHX.org. Now here's vocab with more Koinonia. Last segment, I was talking to Jeff Cran today on Koinonia Radio about Isaiah 53. He's part of something called Chosen People Ministries. Let me just read a few of these verses, and you can see how beautiful they really are. Who has believed what they have heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There is an 80s Christian rock group called Striper, Jeff Cram. They wore yellow and black spandex with big, giant, hair-sprayed hair, screaming guitars, screaming vocals. Striper's theme verse was Isaiah 53.5 because his stripes are what healed us. That's talking about the salvation brought because of the work of Christ on the cross. So you set up tables in downtown Phoenix and other places called Isaiah 53 tables, and you witness and you reach out that way. What are some other things you do? Before we get into today's topic of Hebrew roots, what are some other things you as a missionary to the Jewish people might do? What are some other things? Um, we often have the opportunity to do a Messiah in the Passover. Okay. Uh, it's uh-huh. a great opportunity for Christians to invite their non-believing Jewish friends mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, get the connections between Messiah as the ultimate Passover lamb. Can you give us one quick favorite example of how Christ connects to the Old Testament Passover feast? Oh, uh, one of the greatest ways to present the gospel is to move from uh, Genesis, the binding of Isaac, right in 
like Genesis 22. How do you say it? Akida? The Akida, right. Akida. And uh, just go there and then uh, go to the blood on the doorposts, Mm -hmm. you know, and just follow the lamb Mm -hmm. to quote another singer and song all the way through Mm -hmm. to Isaiah 53 and uh, just make the connections. That's nice. Now, in your travels and in your journeys, you've uncovered, discovered something that other people have run into as well called Hebrew Roots. We'll call it the Hebrew Roots teaching for now. What is the Hebrew Roots movement? What is this Hebrew Roots teaching that you've ran into in your travels? Uh, What I've run into is the idea that uh, really um, non-Jewish believers, the church as a whole, is still bound to the forms of the Law of Moses. So So that's the main thesis, that the church, Jew and Gentile alike, is bound to the Law of Moses. Yeah. Okay. So where have you kind of bumped into this and why do you think it might be a problem? Uh, bumped into it two places. Um, one, if one ends up doing anything in the, the believing Jewish community, mm-hmm. uh, such as teaching in a Messianic congregation, one might run into somebody who uh, holds to this or another form of it, uh, sometimes called the One Law Movement. The One Law Movement. I haven't heard that name yet. It's called the One Law Movement. Uh, and you might run into that. Okay. And uh, that's one place. But then pastors are running into it. They have parishioners who are coming to them and saying, well, you know, shouldn't our church— Right. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do Yeah, that? why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Maybe I need to leave this church and join a congregation that does do these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really—and um, the idea that their church is somehow like pagan— Right. Because they don't do these things. Okay. So that's the the gist of it. Uh, do you think there's some problems with the Hebrew Roots movement in general? Oh, yeah. Such as? Um, one of the, the big problems in, in my mind is um, it removes Jesus as being the one through whom God speaks and makes him a commentator on the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. He becomes just somebody who gives us the right interpretation of the five books of Moses, but he gives us nothing new. So, okay, let me—you can correct my summarization if I'm wrong. What you're saying is that a problem that the Hebrew Roots Movement often creates from its teaching— is that instead of becoming Christocentric in the biblical interpretation, it becomes more Torah-centric. And because of that, Jesus becomes like the ultimate rabbi, the ultimate commentator upon Moses, and the emphasis turns away from who he really should be seen as, as the one who fulfills the law, completes the law. Am I saying too much, saying too little? Um... You're kind of hitting it, but but it's more has to do with like his authority. Okay, like okay. Chapter one. I mean, is he the one through whom the spot Father speaks in this age, mm-hmm. or is he just a uh, one who helps us to do the five books of Moses nicely? Okay. So is the idea that he's mainly just an excellent model, and an interpreter and commentator? Yeah, I like to think of it like, uh, is he your coach or is he your lord? Okay, so. The uh, thing you're concerned about is, are we emphasizing the lordship of Christ? Yeah, in terms of his authority to, to not only interpret what came before, but actually give us new things that so, are required. New things. In what way would you say Christ gives us new things that maybe the Hebrew Roots Movement is missing? Uh, I think the Hebrew Roots Movement probably has a a lot of trouble with the ordinances. Explain. Um, Well, 
there's no uh, Lord's Supper in the Law of Moses. I mean, Correct. Okay. Even if it's a, even if you, you know, it would think of it. The Last Supper is a Passover Seder, but the point is, he adds new things to it. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah, says, "Do new this covenant. in remembrance of me." Yeah. Not do this in remembrance of Moses. Right, right, right. And so they do they celebrate the Lord's Supper in the Hebrew Roots Movement. There are a lot of different variations of the Hebrew Roots Movement. Okay. Um, but you could see where that would put them in a funny position. Mm-hmm. Uh, because here's something that's very much connected to the church i.e. the one that isn't doing everything right, right. Um, and yet it, it's not something you can just say is an extension. It's not just a glorified Passover meal. It, right. it means more. Right. What about similar with baptism? Just so. I mean, where do you find uh, Moses uh, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? I don't think I read that passage in the yeah. Torah. <laughs> not there. All right, so if those are some of the problems— what have you started to do about it? Because it seems like you want to be part of the solution, right? What have What are you going What have you been doing, man? Uh, well, uh, I'll be leaving at the end of next week to teach a group of pastors a uh, module related mm-hmm. to how do we look at Scripture and where are some of these problems, and uh, how do we deal with them, mm-hmm. and how do we understand the reasoning? Is this something that's open that people could come to, or like you know, if a pastor's in the area, how does that work? Well, it's it's more connected with a uh, in-house okay. uh, educational program uh, mm-hmm. connected with the Conservative Grace Brethren. Okay. Um, but uh, we have put together. Mm-hmm. My son has gotten Dad on the net with a website. Nice, nice. www.zionsbanner.org. Zionsbanner.org. Okay. And uh, we're trying to put some resources up as quick as Dad can learn to enter the 21st century. All right, so um, this is something where some of the teaching you're going to be doing will be able to be seen and heard by others once the website's filled out. Is that what you're saying? Um, that needs to be worked out with the pastors I'm doing it with. All right, all right. Got some... What about writing? What about on that front? Uh, I am busy uh, working on my dissertation. On? On this very topic. What's the full title of your uh, doctoral project oh, at Talbot wow. School of Theology? Uh, Do you know it? Yeah. Uh, Hebraic Neo-Galatianism, the Law and the Church. All right. That sounds like a bestseller right there. <laughs> All right. So uh, completion date on that? Oh, I am shooting for May, but you know how that goes. All right. Yes, I do. <laughs> well, that sounds pretty exciting. So um, once the, the, the module's done with the pastors, as far as specifically this issue of Hebrew roots, what would you like to do? Uh, what would you like to see happen? I mean, do you have other plans and goals? I mean, are, is anyone else talking about this? I mean, well, what do we do? Because I've been hearing more and more about it, and it seems like uh, people are more curious about it, and sometimes people are wondering what the answers are. So what else could be done maybe that is percolating in your mind? Um. <laughs> I have a few people that have tapped me on the shoulder and said, Jeff, would you ever consider writing some sort of a theology of the Torah or of the law? Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, I'd I'd love to do that. And I also have some fear and trepidation of such an audacious task. Right, right, right. Um, So there's there's some thoughts there. Um, What about the doctoral project becoming... Uh, book form, for example. That's another thought, too. It probably would have to morph a little bit. Yeah, of course. You know, uh, but that's a, a definite thought. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, when we come back, uh, we got a few minutes left in this segment, but 
could we get into some more detailed specifics? So we gave people sort of the bird's eye view, and this is a very Hebraic way to do it, right? Give the bird's eye view first and then zoom in on the details. What do you think? Can we do that next segment? Sounds great. So maybe bring up some key passages, some key text that Hebrew Roots proponents would bring up and get into some good answers to those questions. Now, is there a bibliography? Let's say someone's, uh, you know, on the break, we're, we're coming up on a break, and they're like, oh, I want to find some books on this. I want to order some books right now. I've heard about this. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. What are some maybe recommended websites or speakers or authors or books or even debates that you would maybe say, check this out, check this out, check this out, just uh, to kind of get people right direction pointing? Um, well, on the, the counter side, uh, Russ Resnick, uh, mm-hmm. did a uh, response to the One Law Movement. Okay. Uh, and uh, the rebuttal to that also exists. It was done by Tim Haig. Um, so that's a source. Uh, I've used a lot of source because I needed stuff that was available. Uh, from Liebenberg. Liben, Liebenberg, sorry. Yeah. Out What's... of Pretoria, Africa. Does he have a book or? He has uh, several like PDF books okay. that he put out. All right, and uh, this book has a few things in it. What do Jewish people think about Jesus? And other questions Christians ask about Jewish beliefs, practices, and history by Michael L. Brown. It has some sections on this, and just a good book in general that you'd want to have. One other shorter book, Digging Up Hebrew Roots, Is This the Faith Once Delivered by Ronald L. Dart and Pam Dewey. A couple books I would recommend for people to get into this as well. You don't want to miss this next section. We're going to talk about the Hebrew Roots Movement with Jeff Cran, a Messianic believer in Jesus Christ, get into some specific questions with specific answers. It's going to be great. It's going to be huge. It's going to be terrific. Isn't that right, Jeff? It is. See you guys in a second. Vocab Malone signing off just for a second. Good afternoon, beloved. Discover your role in rebuilding a broken nation with the Kingdom Citizen Collection from Focus on the Family. Dr. Tony Evans' book, Kingdom Citizen, a subscription to Citizen Magazine, a CD and download of Voting as a Kingdom Citizen, and your family's election activity kit, well, they're all included. Go online now to order yours, faithtalk1360.com. I am Tom Brown, your host today for Koinonia, Vocab Alone. Yeah, baby, bring in the music. This is Vocab Alone. I'm on Koinonia Radio. Here it comes. Boom. 1360 KPXQ, Faith Talk, connecting faith and life. We are on Koinonia Radio. Tom Brown is in charge of the show, but he's got this guy named Vocab. He lets host every Tuesday. Here I am, ladies and gentlemen, talking to Jeff Cran today. He's actually a Phoenix, Glendale resident. Uh, Not always, hasn't always been. I think originally you hail from New Hampshire. What's the name of that place? Originally Chicago. Chicago, then to... 20 years in rural Vermont. Rural Vermont. I knew it was something like that. Oh, man, I'm sorry. And uh, not everyone knows this, but at one time you did a medieval renaissance reenactments, and you were Jeffrey the Wise. What was the name? No, Joffrey the Gray. Joffrey the Gray. I'm sorry, sorry. I'm making stuff fall. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to get it, but... uh. But I'm not lying, Joffrey the Gray. Did you do Renaissance fairs? Uh, I went to, uh, they had a society called the Society for Creative Reenactment. Yeah, nice. Anachronism. Is this going to ruin your career missions if people find this out? 
No, because like if I was really back in the Middle Ages, I probably would have been like killed six times over. So because you're Jewish, that wouldn't have helped. And uh, a lack of long swords. Lack of long swords. That's another problem. Right. Well, uh, you know, uh, Jeffrey the Gray. Not sure if he's revealing his Jewish identity or not. But uh, did you have an accent when you did this? Uh, not too much. No. Oh man, jeez. Do you do any impressions? I, one time I came in in my garb for a, a Christian uh, school that yeah. I was working at, yeah. and I tried to, like, stay historically in character. Yeah. Uh, but the kids were a little smart, and I was a little not ready. Was it British? Or how did you do? My girls can do better British than oh, I can. Okay. All right. Can you, an old, can, you do, uh, can you do your grandpa? Uh, well, my grandpa. So <laughs> you want me to talk like my grandpa? That I can kind of do. <laughs> All right. The questions interviewers ask. But what we're talking about today on Koinonia is a serious topic, an important topic called the Hebrew Roots Movement. Is that the way generally you would characterize it? Would you call it Hebrew Roots Movement, Hebrew Roots Teaching, Hebrew Roots Doctrine? What do you normally say when you refer to it? The problem is that all these sites like to pick different names, but Mm -hmm. I generally refer to it as the Hebrew Roots Movement. or I'll talk about the one law movement. Okay, okay. That's helpful for people to know. Okay. I'm going to read a key passage because I promised our listeners on the other side of the break we were going to get into some specific questions, specific verses about the Hebrew Roots Movement and what the proponents might say and what you are working on to help show that there's a biblical answer to these questions. I'll read Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jeff, you tell me what a Hebrew Roots proponent would say, and you tell me what you think a biblical response would be. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And those are the words of Christ there in Matthew five seventeen. Mm-hmm. What would a Hebrew Roots proponent say that should mean for well, us? Well, they'd say that, you know, since, since Jesus has not come to abolish the law, then you're, you're still under the law. He so would you never... should still be doing what still be following as a requirement uh the jewish feasts you should okay. still be uh following the dietary laws whether mm-hmm. you have ethnic jewish background or not or want to you have to because you have to do these if you love god you have to do these because jesus didn't come to abolish the law right uh so you have to do these if you love him and if you don't do them right you're not loving him okay and so there's the charge what do you think a biblical response would sound like? Well, you determine what a word means in the text by looking at how it's used. So if you look at how Matthew uses the word fulfilled up until chapter 5, we find that uh, the virgin birth was to fulfill Isaiah Mm 7.14. Yep. And so if uh, fulfilling means um, simply explaining the law, which is what a Hebrew Roots movement would say, they'd say uh, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, he came to explain the law. Okay. Okay, fulfill means explain because it can't mean the, you know, that's the, you know, it's not, you have abolish, you have, oh, you know, it has to be obey or explain. Well, I I love this idea. So the Virgin Mary, the Mary who was a virgin, she didn't stay a virgin. Right, yeah. um, She ended up uh, having a virginal conception of Jesus to explain Isaiah 7, 14. I was, like, with my wife when she gave birth. I mean, you think Mary could have sent a note? It would have saved about, like, 40 weeks. Right, right. To explain it. Uh, What about to obey it? Well, that's kind of a funny idea. Like, Mary was going to say to God, well, no, I'm sending him back. I I don't want any. Right. 
I mean, when a woman's told she's pregnant, uh, it's really not a matter of obedience. Right. Do we assume when a woman doesn't conceive, she's not obeying her husband? Right. How does that work? Right. So, so you're saying that by utilizing Matthew one twenty three in relationship to Isaiah seven fourteen, you can see the Mithian use of the Greek word fulfill is not the way that a Hebrew roots proponent would be interpreting that word. He's narrowing it too much, and and that tends to be the word fulfill tends to be the scriptural fulfillment. In other words, every time a prophecy has come to be, has been mm-hmm. accomplished, the word fulfill is used. Okay. So how would you define fulfill in the Theon usage? That means how Matthew used it. What's uh, I, a good way? I think a, the, a dissertation I read mm-hmm. uh, used the word consummation, which is the idea of bringing something, completing it, and also uh, kind of giving its purpose. So you're given the purpose by completion. Fill it to its full meaning, to its fullness, filling it up that way? Uh, but more and bringing an end and to it? And bringing it to its conclusion. Okay, yeah. okay, all right. That's good. And so then how is Christ in Matthew five seventeen? how is he using this idea of I have not come to abolish but to fulfill them? What does he mean by that then? Well, I think it's, again, that idea of consummation. I think he's coming to say, I've not come to abolish, to make it null in effect. No, rather, I've come to give its meaning and to bring it to completion. Which, so it's a both and. Could a Hebrew um, roots proponent say, yeah, so he did that, but he still said he didn't come to abolish it, so you still got to obey it. Well— did they say something like that? That isn't used too much because then the problem with that becomes that I would argue that that someone like a Walter Kaiser would never say mm-hmm. that the law is abolished. They would say that the law finds its fulfillment in Christ. Okay, so Walter Kaiser, for those who don't know, an Old Testament evangelical yes, scholar, scholar, what if they say, uh, yeah, it finds its fulfillment in Christ, but where does the Bible say you don't follow it anymore? That's, I'm so glad you asked. Um, I, I like to go to places like Colossians 2, uh, right around 14. Do they ever say things to you like, oh, so you're going to leave the master rabbi and go to Paul? Does anyone ever get that dirty with you? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I hear people kind of denigrate They don't do that, that as much. Way. What no? they like to do is redefine the audience of the epistles. Okay. So they would argue that— uh, well, Liebenberg does out of Pretoria, Africa. He argues that the Colossians weren't Gentiles. Oh, so he makes it a Jewish congregation. He makes it a Jewish congregation, which is like his favorite thing to do. Okay, so someone says, hey, you still got to follow the law. Where did the Bible say you don't have to follow the Mosaic law? You go to Colossians to show them what? Uh, let no one, 16, judge you in food or in drink regarding festival or new moon or Sabbath. What if they said, well, yeah, that means uh, people who don't keep the law shouldn't be judging those who do? Yeah, that, that's pulled occasionally. <laughs> uh, the problem is that, that, first of all, in the original language, it has the idea of uh, stop doing something that's been going on. Okay. So that's kind of interesting to me because um, you really think that, that pagan Colossians were running around going to church meetings complaining about the lack of pork being eaten? I mean, that just doesn't make sense. Um, and two, from the standpoint there, isn't no one mean no one? You saying it's a universal negative? Yeah. Okay, so you're saying the application of your interpretation of this verse in relationship to Matthew 5.17, spell it out nice and slow, is? 
uh, the application is that Jesus is saying he didn't come to abolish the law does not necessarily infer that all the forms of the law are still binding on Gentile believers by any stretch of the imagination. Because Colossians 3... Wait, Colossians 2.16 2, says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new men or Sabbath. So uh, what do you think, Paul? I'm just trying to reiterate this. Paul is saying what to who in Colossians 3.16. I think Paul is talking to a predominantly non-ethnically Jewish audience, mm-hmm. and uh He's dealing with—there's a lot of debates about the heresy, but some parts of what was going on in Colossians must have included the the forms of Jewish uh, custom and observance. Because verse 17 maybe even gives a hint to that. It says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ, which is similar language to what the author of Well, and also using Sabbath. Uh, One of the Hebrew Roots proponents argues that Sabbath there doesn't mean Jewish Sabbath— why would why would Paul be uh, promoting pagan <laughs> pagan celebrations here? Right, you should be judged about that. I guess is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I think he'd have problems with idolatry. A new moon. What's that? What exactly is that? Uh, there's a uh, actually celebration. Uh, it's not much of a celebration in most Jewish circles. Orthodox still do a lot with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, do more with it. What is it? When do they do it? Uh, when the new moon happens, because the Jewish calendar is uh, on a lunar cycle. Begins. And, when does it begin? When does it end? How's that work? Uh, well, basically, <laughs> the night sky helps you with that. Okay. Um, the new moon is when the moon's like totally dark. When mm-hmm. the dark side is is facing us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have the phases as the Earth's in a different position to the moon and the sun. Mm-hmm. So a, a full moon is about the middle of the Jewish month, and a, a new moon would mark a new Jewish month, and it's called Rosh Chodesh. Does that happen every month? Yeah. Well, what, yeah. What, do you, what would a person do on Rosh Chodesh? Uh, well, the Orthodox has some special prayers that they do, and they'll go out and they'll cite the new moon because in, in ancient times before Timex, uh, if you're going to celebrate the Jewish holidays, you, you had to know what month you were in and what day of what month, and you could figure that out from the night sky. Right. So is Paul saying... Gentiles, don't let anyone be mad at you if you're not doing that. Is that what he's saying? I think essentially he's saying, yeah, no one can look. If you do or if you don't, it doesn't matter. He's also saying, hey, Jew, Jewish believers, if you're doing that, don't let Gentiles trip out on you either. Yeah, it's... Because it's let no one. Yeah, no one. Good stuff. When we come back, Jeff, I would like to ask you about Acts chapter 15, something there called the Jerusalem Council and its relationship to the Hebrew Roots movement. Is that an important passage to go to? Sure is. All right, so brothers and sisters, if you're not driving, you know, go to Acts chapter 15, and let's look at that. This will be very important for you to understand. This is important stuff, everybody, and I have a great guest on to talk about. Today here on Koinonia, I got Jeff Crane of Chosen People Ministries, and um, you're going to enjoy this great Bible study. We love to get into in-depth Bible studies, and it directly relates to your life because it directly relates to how you practice your Christian belief. So very important. See you on the other side of the break. In his brand new book, Searching the Scriptures, Pastor Chuck Swindoll shows you how to take your study of God's Word. Well, take it to the next level. And we've arranged for you to get a free chapter right now. Go online, faithtalk1360.com to read Chuck's recipe for getting the most out of your Bible study, faithtalk1360.com. Well, good afternoon. I am Tom Brown. This is Koinonia, and your host for this wonderful Tuesday program is none other than Vocab Malone. Check out that guitar. 
<laughs> this is Coin and Eager Radio. My name is Vocab. Vocab alone. I do some stuff on the radio sometimes. If you don't believe me, go to urbantheologianradio.com. That's urbantheologianradio.com. And you can hear some shows where I talk about urban issues and theology. Today, though, I'm on Coin and Eager Radio helping out my good friend Tom Brown here on 1360, talking to Jeff Cran, a Valley resident. That means he's from Phoenix to those who aren't in Phoenix. So if I say he's in the Valley, it means he's in the Valley of the Sun. That's Phoenix, Arizona, basically. He's with Chosen People Ministries and does a great work among all types of folks, believers and uh, non-believers as well, Jew and Gentile alike. A unique perspective. I think the more you hear about him and from him, the more you'll like him. Let's say there's a local church. Would you be so inclined to go speak at a local church on some of these issues, Brother Jeff? In a New York minute. In a New York minute. What's that mean to those of us who don't know? I know. but That means real quick. Real quick. All right. Now, um, how could someone get a hold of Jeff Cran of Chosen People Ministries if they wanted to book you in a New York minute? Uh, one way to do that would be to go to the Zions, the www.zionsbanner.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, it mm-hmm. has contact info. Uh, the other is... Um, well, um, that's the best way. That's that's probably the best way. Or if yeah. you go to the Chosen People website and you click on Arizona, you will see a lovely picture of us, and uh, they'll click me an email. All right, sounds good. We've been talking about the Hebrew Roots Movement. Let's say someone has missed the rest of the beginning of the show, then they're just not joining us, which would be a tragedy. I encourage them to make sure they download it later on SoundCloud. What's the Hebrew Roots Movement again? Let's reiterate. Let's review. Let's recap. What is that thing? Uh, it's the idea that if your name's uh, O'Hare, uh, you have to give up your pulled pork sandwich. <laughs> uh, that's a funny way to put it. What about if your name's, uh, uh, you know, like Mussolini? What about that? Well, then you'd, you'd still have a problem <laughs> with those sausages. <laughs> All right. So the idea is Gentile folks got to adhere to the Mosaic Law. And you gave an example of that, right? Yep. All right, so who's teaching this? Where is it percolating at? Ah, uh, wow. Uh, it's a tree with twisted roots. Okay, yeah. Uh, so you have guys like, uh, I probably mispronounced his name before because it's, it's very Germanic, but it's Leibenberg out of Pretoria, mm-hmm. Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have all sorts of proliferation of websites in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have guys with a related movement called the One Law Movement, um, which was like Tim Haig. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have some things like that. Aren't uh, a lot of people that are big proponents of this ethnically Gentile? Yeah, which is really kind of strange. Why do Gentiles love the Jewish law so much? <laughs> it's just kidding. <laughs> What's attractive about it? Um, I, I think the problem is is that, uh, that a lot of uh, Gentile folks, uh, because— as the gospel went into other cultures, it mm-hmm. took on other expressions. And mm-hmm. so you point to, you know, well, we don't know if Jesus was born on the 25th. Right, uh, right, so right. So you make uh, a big deal out of who sends Hallmark cards when. And uh, so they they get that stuff, and then they're told that Christianity's gotten paganized by Constantine. And uh, they feel that their whole faith is based on the wrong—has no connection to the narrative. So that's why it's called Hebrew— Roots movement, the Hebrew yeah. roots. Now, there are folks like me who would say we teach the Hebrew roots of the faith. Right, which that, is different. That's different. That's different. That's a good point. So we're not saying Christianity is a Gentile religion. On the contrary, 
the Jewish Messiah prophesied in the Hebrew scriptures didn't come to start a new sort of Gentile only religion or something like that. You know, I've heard it said in a way, uh, a manner of speaking. However, the new covenant's not the old covenant. Right. And the Bible says it's better. Do you want to talk briefly before we get into Acts 15, this whole concept of covenants, new covenant, old covenant, and how that relates in general? Because I know you got into some of that with your studies. And uh, what's the new covenant? Why is that important? I think it's so important. Hebrews um, 7, I believe it's verse 14 or 15, Mm -hmm. says where there's a change in law, there is a change in covenant. Okay. And so even when I'm among Messianic groups now, I love to talk about the Torah of Messiah. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, Which means what to Which you? means a change in instruction or law. Mm-hmm. What often is called the law is the Torah for Jewish people. They don't view it as a legal code. They view it as the whole five books. Right. And so, um, yeah, it's so important that we don't think that the New Covenant is just uh, like a, like a, a clarified, um, uh, what was it called, cliff notes. Right. Of, you know, the New Covenant is just cliff notes right. for the Old Covenant. Right. Okay. I don't know if you can do this briefly, but sort of brief. Why did it change? You know, what's the, what's the difference? What, what, what does Christ have to do with all this? Well, a lot of things. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, why, why the change? Why is it necessary? Why is it needed, you know, for example? Why, why does there need to be a new covenant? Something oh. wrong with the law of Moses? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> there was something wrong with us. Uh, what was wrong with us? <laughs> uh, the old covenant could not produce the righteousness necessary because of our uh, sequential internal non-morality. We call that sin. Is that in the Bible? Sin? Yeah. Well, you just said we could. You're, are you saying we can't keep the law? We certainly can't keep it. Then the why law. did God give it to us if we can't keep it? Oh, wow. There are a lot of purposes for the law. One, he did want his community to know how to worship him. Okay. He had interest in that. Okay. Uh, two, he wanted to distinguish his people from all the lovely pagans around. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're so, not a Hittite. <laughs> yeah, you're not a Hittite. Um, he also wanted uh, to let his people know that they needed atonement. Okay, so how does the Old Covenant let us know we need atonement? Uh, because as we fall short, and as we see that the uh, Ten Commandments are not the Ten Suggestions, right? Uh, we should feel guilty. We should realize that we are, are not good like God is good. Right. Well, that's what the Day of Atonement's for, though, right? Well, actually, the blood of bulls and goats uh, doesn't do it. Says who? Uh, actually, Hebrews. Oh, so it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. <laughs> oh, okay. So I guess that's a belief. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so why is the sacrifice of Christ necessary then, and what does it bring? What's the change? Well, the the old sacrifices allowed God to dwell with his people, and if someone really had faith, their faith could be credited to them Mm -hmm. uh, based on the fact that there was going to be a final solution in the biblical sense of Mm -hmm. the word Mm -hmm. uh, for sin. Um, But the Old Testament sacrifices never made one uh, eternally okay. But did the sacrifice of Christ do that? You sure did. What's your proof for that? That's Hebrews 2. What's it say there? It says that uh, Jesus' death saves uh, forever or once and for all those who come to him. So it's fine. It's complete. It's complete. And that's why we don't need to continually sacrifice bulls and goats anymore. Okay, so what does that mean with the requirements of the law, though? the difference there now in the new covenant that's where it gets really funny because the hebrew roots movement guys never really want to stone people who uh miss a sabbath service 
I haven't figured that part out. So you're saying they're not keeping the totality of what it would look like in the first place? That's exactly right. What about the festival booths? Is one of the requirements that you have to buy, or, or I'm sorry, make your own, like, tent, basically, your own dwelling? You yeah, but even Orthodox Jews will make sukkahs. So, but are you, but is it allowable to go buy your own? Because I've heard about people that keep this, but then they buy their own, but isn't one of the requirements you have to make your own? Yeah, that's... That's not a big deal. <laughs> it's not a big deal because we've got prefab now. Okay. Okay. All right. So you can hear how this conversation can be very interesting and also why it's very important because, guys, this relates to how you celebrate your faith. And, no, we're not going to answer every question about the Hebrew Roots Movement. This is a 45-minute radio show, okay, in the middle of the day, okay? And you're driving. We don't make you crash with your head exploding anyway. But we are going to get into some things, okay? And on Koinonia, the last thing we're going to have time for, I think, today here probably to really jump into is Acts chapter 15. What's going on, Brother Jeff Cran of Chosen People Ministries in Acts chapter 15? Oh, I love this chapter. Um, the composition of the church is changing. now. From you know, what to what? Well, when it starts, it does start as a, a branch or a, a form of Judaism. We've got Jewish guys doing Jewish things. And everybody's uh, Jewish. Everybody's Jewish. Well, what happens? Uh, well, what starts to happen is that the non-Jewish folks start really responding to the message. Uh-oh, what are we going to do about that? They're pagans. They don't know anything about us. They don't know how to keep the law. They don't know, they're not circumcised. They eat meat, sacrifice idols. What do we do about these guys? And that's what starts to come up. Um, so Acts 15 is... Well, it's simple. We'll just make them keep the law like we do, right? And and that's, that's why Acts 15 is such a problem for the Hebrew Roots folks, because it, it doesn't say that. Oh, so it doesn't say that. What does it say, and who's saying the saying? Well, uh, you have a, a ruling. Well, actually, the Holy Spirit was in agreement, it says. Amen, amen. So it's not just a mere council of men, as it were. This isn't, you know, 500 years later with a bunch of Italians. The Holy Spirit is in agreement with this decision. Yeah. Okay. Um, you have James. Uh, Who's James? James is, is really the mover or shaker of the Jerusalem church. Uh-huh. And uh, you have testimony by Peter. Uh-huh. Uh, who visited Cornelius? Right. Who's Cornelius? Cornelius is this, this nice Italian soldier that was hanging around. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have Paul, who's spearheading the uh, non-Jewish outreach. Okay. Uh, and So uh, it's kind of his fault, you know, because he's bringing all these Gentiles in. What do we do with them? One or two, maybe, right? But now we're getting indonated. Now you're getting indonated. All right. So what does the council basically say? Uh, the council basically uh, sets up uh, four stipulations. Okay, what are the four stipulations, and uh, why are they relevant? Well, uh, the four stipulations uh, at the end of Acts has to do with uh, abstaining from things offered to idols. Okay. Uh, That's kind of important because the only way to get idol meat, other than discounted at your local grocery store, was to go to an idolatrous service. So okay. So that was some problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, blood from things strangled. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's kind of keep the, the roadkill out of the diet as much okay. as possible. Uh, sexual immorality, which we see repeated in the New Testament. Right. That's not cool. So that's uh, the Gentiles and their multiple wives, the Gentiles and their open adultery, all that type of stuff. Yeah. The Gentiles maybe in their homosexuality, all that stuff thrown all in All that there. stuff. Okay. In. All right. Well, yeah, that was three, right? Did we do the fourth? Uh, no, that was four because you have idols. Oh, okay. Uh, blood, sexual immorality... What is the import of that today for us, if we're a Gentile? Uh, well, I would definitely recommend staying away from sexual immorality. <laughs> so, yeah. that's, that's really big. 
Uh, I stay away from idolatry. Okay. Uh, that still is a problem. John mentions it. Yeah. Third yeah. John. Um, the issue of what's things strangled and uh, and the blood sausage issue uh, probably is the one that people. Do of... I have to be circumcised if I'm a Gentile believer? Absolutely not. And I can still be part of the new covenant. You sure can. All right. Good stuff. As you can tell, it goes deep. We have one last segment. We're not going to be able to cover everything we want to cover today, but I encourage you to look this brother up, Jeff Cran, Chosen People Ministries. We're going to spend one more segment with him here on Koinonia. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Koinonia Radio. It has been a ride. I love when I can interview Jeff Cran of Chosen People Ministries. And if you're wondering who I am, I'm Vocab Malone. I've been filling in for Tom Brown today here on Koinonia. And uh, we always have a lot of fun, even when dealing with really serious things. Today, we've talked about the Hebrew Roots Movement, and Jeff is really qualified to talk about this. He's doing some presentations and, and academic work in the area. And the main idea is that, hey, if you're a Christian, my friend, you need to keep this Old Testament Mosaic Law, okay? And if you don't, what's going on with you? I mean, how would you summarize the Hebrew Roots Movement? Again, that that would pretty much be it. You're bound to all the forms, so uh, no pork, uh, Sabbath mandatory, uh, Passover is mandatory, all that stuff's all mandatory. And the big summary response, the big biblical response, how would you summarize it to that Hebrew roots charge or accusation or question? What? How would you summarize the response? I would summarize it by this. The Torah of Moses is realized in the Torah and person of Jesus Christ. And if you have him, you're in. Do you think there's a key passage? We've covered a few. It could be one we've reiterated that you would say maybe here's a good kind of summary verse for that that position. You know, what's what are a few good verses for people to really meditate on? Uh, that you think it will help them? I mean, does Galatians 3.28, for example, a passage like that perhaps? With uh, with Jesus being the pedagogos. Well, let me read Galatians three twenty eight, and uh, maybe you know, then you can maybe you just could suggest one. Um, there is neither uh, Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then verse twenty nine. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Is that? A good one? What are some maybe other good ones? I think the Colossians, too, that we looked at, mm-hmm. where no one is allowed to judge you. So don't let people judge you All right. in relation to these things. All right. That's good. Now, how can people track you down, Brother Jeff Cran, if they want to find you? They could go to Facebook, uh, Cran Ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could go to www.zionsbanner.org. All right. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if it's all right, I'd like to close us out briefly with a, with a small prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for the sins of sinners. And we thank you that you're saving through the power of your Holy Spirit, Jew and Gentile alike. You've been doing so, and you're going to continue doing so. And we look forward to a reclamation when more and more of Israel recognize her Messiah. Thank you for this show today. Amen. Amen.